Thanks for joining us online today. We are really glad you're here. Core Church is a place of hope, healing, peace, and purpose. And if you don't have a church home, we'd love for you to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. And if we can help you in any way through prayer or support, we want to encourage you to use the links that are in the description. Thanks for joining us, and we pray this message both encourages and inspires you. Anyone remember going to uh, school and having a substitute teacher? Wasn't that a great day? <laughs> she didn't know any of the rules. You knew you'd never see her again or him again. You could just do whatever you wanted. Well, I am the substitute pastor today, so just do what you want, have fun, enjoy. I had one guy I was walking in. He said, are you preaching this morning? He said, I said, yeah, I think so. He said, well, good, I'll have a good nap. That's awesome. <laughs> Appreciate that. All right. So we're starting a new series here at CORE. And uh, I'm kind of excited about this series because it's uh, one of my favorite books. We're going to be studying through the book of Philippians, or as some of you know it, Philippines. Um, so this is an interesting book. Uh, Paul is not, you know, a lot of Paul's writings in the uh, epistles to the early church were correction, some cases rebuke, you know, you can go through like the Corinthians, there's a lot of correction, uh, a lot of exhortation for radical change in their part, but this was a book uh, where Paul did a lot of commending, uh, commending their faith and uh, encouraging them in their faith. And he spoke to, uh, he spoke deeply to the idea of doing our faith together and the importance of uh, not, not walking in faith alone. And there were some pretty dramatic uh, conversions in Philippi, uh, Philippi as well. There was, uh, we, we probably heard of the story of Lydia, who was a, a prominent businesswoman at Philippi that she uh, had come to Christ. And then uh, you've probably heard the story of, uh, in the book of Acts, where Paul's in prison and all of a sudden this earthquake comes and the, the Spirit of God breaks him out of this uh, this, uh, this prison in Philippi, and the jailer gets saved, and all of his family, the guy that was guarding Paul because of the testimony of this. So it was, a, it was an amazing city, uh, an amazing uh, community of people, and uh, I want to read just a few verses from uh, the first chapter this morning, and then we'll just make some commentary on it. So here's, here's, uh, here's where we'll start. Uh, Paul said this, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. Everyone say citizens of heaven. <laughs> Conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come together to see you again or only hear about you, I know that you are standing together in one purpose, or one spirit, one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news of Jesus. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. 
We are in this struggle together. You've seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. There's a, there's a word that we see again and again in these few verses, the word together. He keeps reminding us that we're together. And he speaks about struggling together, suffering together, working through the challenges that we have in life together. How many of you are old enough to know that life is not always easy? In other words, how many are not teenagers in this place? I'm just kidding. We even know students who are here. There are struggles. There's, there's school. There's, uh, you know, getting cut from teams. There's, you know, not feeling like you're in the, you know, invited into the cool group and all of that. So it doesn't matter who we are. Uh, life is beautiful. It's amazing. But it is also a struggle. And there's suffering in it. And so today, I thought a good title for, for uh, my, my talk would be Struggling Well. How do we struggle well? When I think of two people that have struggled well in life, I think of a couple that is sitting on the front row of this church this morning. Because my parents live about a mile and a half from here, and I talked them into coming and listening to me preach again, even though they've heard me a thousand times. And they're so, sitting right here. I won't have them stand up because they, get, they, they don't like that. They don't, they don't like attention, I can tell you that. Uh, but they've been married going on 65 years. Pretty close. I mean, you're at 63 or four, somewhere in there, and you'll probably get to 70 because you just keep going. I mean, they are not, they're in their late, mid to late 80s, and uh, just, but they've struggled well. Life has had its ups and downs. There have been tough business things that have happened over the years, and uh, there have been uh, <laughs> kids who have made a mess of things for you uh, at different times. And, uh, I know there's times, Dad, Mom's just messed up, hasn't she? I mean, she's just, you know. And and Dad's never never done anything wrong, has he, Mom? He's he's been pretty good all these years. But you know, my dad, he uh, he retired from school at ninth grade, and somehow <laughs> figured out how to get through this life and how to make a great life for him and mom and uh, make a great life for us, not just our kids, uh, not that's their kids, but our grandkids as well. Life is a struggle. And if we struggle well, we get to a place where I believe one day the Lord will speak to us and say, well done, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I remember meeting with a pastor it was shortly after I had struggled mightily in my life and I had uh, come through uh, a really grave, dark moment of my life, confession of sin, coming out of addiction, uh, losing a lot of uh, faith in people or faith, faith from people and, and credibility. And I, I was asked to uh, help out at this church in Tulsa. And uh, it was the beginning of, I think, really re-entry into the ministry world. And this pastor, 
said, Blaine, we need some help with our teams. Uh, just want you to kind of work behind the scenes, and we, we, uh, we, we, we want you to be here. Mainly, we want to we wanna help disciple you and, and, and get you back on your feet again. And, and he stopped me, and he said, but there's one thing. Uh, I know you've had struggles in the past. I know you've come out of a world of uh, sexual brokenness and pornography and all of that, and you've been about a year and a half, two years re- removed from that. And so I'm, I'm sure on some level there's still a struggle in that area. And I said, well, I'm not going to lie. Um, I, I'm doing well, but yeah, I've had a few relapses in the last year and a half. And he said, well, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I don't want perfection out of you, but I want you to struggle well. And I said, well, what does that look like, Ed? And he said, here's what it looks like. In the past, when you struggled and you were challenged by your own personal secrets, what did you do? You hid them. You kept them to yourself. You thought, I'm going to beat this on my own. You were, you were ashamed of really telling anybody, and, and that, that is never going to work in life. He said, struggling well is when you feel challenged, when you feel, even when, if you have a relapse of any kind, you come to me, you come to my team, and we will be there for you because we are the church, and we are the body of Christ, and we care about you being fully resurrected And we know that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so he said, we want to be a church that is not a courtroom with a judge and jury. We want to be a community with redemption and resurrection. And I cannot tell you how that liberated me in terms of just knowing I felt support. That no matter what happened in my life, that I had a community that was there and cared for me. And you want to know the truth. I really never had to go to them. It, I, I just felt so supported and so cared for that for whatever reason, it, it gave me a, a deeper sense of resurrection and God was, was so gracious in that moment. And so I wanna give you three things that as a church that we can embrace in living into what we call a redemptive and a resurrected community. How can we live as community? How can we truly struggle well together as a church? Well, the first thing Paul said, this is, this is pretty radical, so I hope you're ready for this, all right? He said, uh, above all else, he said, we must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a matter worthy of the good news about Jesus. So the first thing he said is, we've got to be clear on our citizenship. We read verses like this and we kind of go over them pretty quickly. But Paul said, we, we are citizens of, of, a, of a different place, a different space, a different kingdom. And it wasn't just some kind of little metaphor. He really believed that. Other passages in scripture, Peter refers to us as believers and followers of Jesus, as, as um, strangers in this world. Aliens, I love that. That we're aliens in this world. That we're not citizens of this world. And and when you think about that, it kind of changes how we 
treat each other. It changes how we interact with the world and the culture that we're in. You see, Jesus was a, a rabbi who spent his days as an itinerant street preacher, basically, living off the genera- generosity of strangers, speaking in parables about what? This new kingdom of God. And don't mistake those words because using the kingdom of God was an affront to Rome, an affront to Caesar, even an affront to the religious leaders of that day who were building their own Jewish kingdom. But Jesus began to introduce this idea of a different kingdom, a new kingdom, this radical way of living in God's kingdom. And nobody liked it except those who followed him. Rome didn't like it. Religious leaders didn't like it. They were like, it's about Rome. It's about, you know, Israel. It's not about the kingdom of God. And they didn't like it so much that it only took them three years to put this man to death. Three years after making these announcements and declaring them again and again, they said, we're done enough about your kingdom. We'll see what becomes of your kingdom. And Rome and Caesar and Herod and all of that world and culture said, you're, you're done. They put him to death. And of course, we know what happened. You know, in the, in the kingdom of God, death is a seed. You can put it in the ground, but guess what? It's coming back up. That no matter what kind of death the enemy would try to bring in our life, that when we live in God's kingdom, that when we live under the authority and the rule of Jesus, that we live into a redemptive and resurrected kingdom, that we are all seeds. And when we experience death, whether it's spiritual or mental or physical, emotional, whatever it may be, that that seed will come back to life as we live into God's kingdom. This may sound radical, but it is so important to community. We are not, in, and of course, uh, many of you know I'm a Canadian, but I'm going to include myself in this because Canadians are just mini Americans. I mean, we, you know, we're just like, we don't have as much stuff. We don't have big, big, you know, military because you guys do. You take care of us. Uh, but we're, 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 we're much like Americans. Um, but this may sound radical, but we are not Americans living in the kingdom of God. We are kingdom people living in America. It's who we are. See, we've been baptized into a beautiful alien community that Jesus named the church. The church does not belong to a nation or a state. We're global, not national. We will never be an embassy for empire. We do not bow to either a donkey or an elephant. Only the lamb. We believe in kingdom over country, that our government is actually upon his shoulders. Our constitution is a Nicene Creed. Our politics are the Sermon on the Mount. Our anthem is amazing grace. Our Congress is a holy priesthood of, priesthood of believers. Our laws are love God and love your neighbor. Our economy is limitless. Our borders are open. 
The flag is resurrection. Our king is Jesus, and he reigns forever. This is who we are, friends. Now, how does, how does all that work with us, you know, living in America and uh, living in the politics of America? Someone said, well, the church is to be found at the center of the left and right political world. I actually believe the church is like a species of its own kind, confounding both left and right, finding its identity in the center of God's life and God's kingdom. So here's a beautiful word from the Lord in terms of this community, this, this citizenship that we get to live in. It's found in the book of Joshua, and I love this. Joshua, it says, went to him and said to him, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And he said, neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. And Joshua fell on his face on the ground in reverence, and he said, I'm at your command. Well, that was actually Jesus incarnate in the Old Testament. He said, I'm the commander of the Lord. Well, who is that? That's Jesus. And Joshua fell on the ground and said, I'm at your command. That's who we are, saints. We get to, we get to bring blessing into America. We get to bring grace into America. We get to bring the gospel into America. We get to live in a community that loves and supports and cares for each other that will confound America. Because here's what America has done. Here's where we have come to, is we have divided and segmentized every part of America. We have this group, and we have that group, and we have this color, and we have these that believe in this, and, and, and these that believe in that, and these that stand for this, and we are so divided. And here we are, the church, red, yellow, black, white, Democrat, Republican, independent, whatever, and we come together under one banner and one king, the Lord Jesus Christ, and declare he is king. This is who we are. And so because of this, I can fellowship, support, and care for you even if you're different from me. Even if you don't believe quite like I believe, even if you don't think quite like I think, that we can be in a place like this and know that we are in a safe community, that no matter where I've come from, what's happened in my life, what kind of sins I've committed, what I have believed in my life, that I will be cared for by the church. What, what an amazing message to the world that we declare. Here's the second thing that Paul said. He said, we stand in spirit and in purpose. Verse 27, I know that you are standing together in one spirit and one purpose. I love those two words, spirit and purpose, not stipulation and personality. There's a difference. See, I, I really believe that in the church that God has definitely called us into the unity of the faith. No doubt about it, that we are to live in a unity of the faith, but not a uniformity of community. In other words, we don't have to wear all the same uniforms. We don't have to all dress alike. We don't have to all have the same code words. That, that we can be unified in our faith in Jesus and unified in, in the spirit 
that, that is residing within each one, one of us, that we can be unified in the purpose of proclaiming the gospel, living into this Jesus life in the church, but we don't have to do it all the same way, identically. I have, uh, I've had the privilege of, of speaking in more, probably close to 20 churches in Tulsa, because I've been here for 30 years. And I have spoken in Baptist churches. I've spoken in Pentecostal churches. I've spoken in Nazarene churches. I've spoken in Assembly of God churches, spoken in independent churches. I mean, I could go on and on and on. And I can tell you something, every one of them are doing it a little bit differently. A little bit different. Music's different. Preaching, different. Length of service is different. The rooms are different. The space is different. The selection of songs is different. The, the lobby's different. <laughs> Everything's different. But I can tell you, every one of those churches I've preached at, I've seen men and women that love Jesus got saved in that church and are living into the kingdom of God. And somehow God has chosen to overlook all the methods for the greater purpose of the kingdom of God. Listen, our message is non-negotiable. Jesus Christ sent by the Father to die for our sins, to forgive us, to cleanse us from unrighteousness, who was buried, rose again, sat at the right hand of God, is coming again. That is our message. And that message is irreversible and unchangeable and non-negotiable, but we can have different methods along the way of communicating that truth. I was a part of a, I was a, part of a student ministry here in Tulsa, and I look back at some of the crazy things that we did. I mean, crazy things. And I question myself. I'm like, Blaine, what were you thinking? Really? We, we, did, we did one night where we challenged, we had uh, probably about 15 to 20 different schools, high schools and junior high, middle schools that were coming to our, our youth group at the time. We had probably, I don't know at the time, maybe, maybe eight, 900 kids that were coming every Wednesday night. So we decided to have a big outreach one night. And we challenged every school that was present in our youth group to go back and tell their school to come out to our, our upcoming Wednesday night because we were gonna have a battle of the burgers. And we were gonna see which school in Tulsa, Oklahoma could eat the most hamburgers in one night. Imagine 800 kids, and we were going to give this grand prize away to the winning school. I forget what it was, but these kids went crazy. We created little invites, and they went all over their school, and they were like, we got to win. We can't let the, any other school beat us in the battle of the burgers. We got to get them to get everyone to come. And so schools started talking it up, and pretty soon that Wednesday night came, and we went from 800 in our youth group to 2,000 that night. 2,000, and we knew it was gonna be big, so guess where we were the week before? We went down to Sonic Drive-In, and we said, we need your smallest burger. We wanna order quite a few for next Wednesday night. And the manager said, well, how many? And we said, we're gonna need about 4,000. 
but we need them for about 20 cents each. We have a budget here. Anyways, we worked out a deal. All of the Sonics in that area worked together, and we had 4,000 hamburgers that night. I mean, they were set out table after table. They were stacked this high, and, I, and we, had, we had every school listed, and so you stood in line for your school to see which school could eat the most hamburgers. Now, I don't remember which school won, but I do remember the single uh, champion who ate the most that night. This young man was the center on his football team at Berry Hill High School, great big kid, 15 years of age, and he ate 29 hamburgers in a row without stopping. Guess what his name was? His last name, Hoover. He sucked those things down. And let me tell you about Hoover. That night, <laughs> he got saved. He'd never been to church, never been to a youth group. But he knew he could win it for his school. He got saved. He became one of our most radical, committed young men to Christ that we had in our youth group. And there was a revival that broke out in the Berry Hill High School after that. Because not only Hoover got saved, there were a bunch of other young people from Berry Hill got saved. We ended up having every single week, just from Berry Hill, 200 kids ride the buses to come to youth group every Wednesday. Just 200 from Berry Hill. We had one family that hosted all of these kids at their home on Wednesday night before uh, we would pick them up. They went through carpet every six months. After we replace the carpet every six months, they stopped planting trees and bushes and, and flowers because they would just get stopped on. <laughs> and I look back on that and I said, that, that was stupid. I mean, hamburgers and, and you know, gluttony. <laughs> I mean, it was just like, what were we thinking? But somehow God is able to use even our craziest methods somehow for the kingdom of God. So let's be, let's be caring for each other. Let's not feel like it's, it's rigid in the way that God has, has to work, that it's, you know, we gotta have this song or that song or, the, or, or this way or my way. Let's open up our hearts to the purpose and the unity of the faith in Christ. And the last thing I'll share with you this morning is suffering is not an option. Paul said, for you've been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We don't need to look for suffering. It'll find us. And suffering can come in a lot of different ways. There can be lack, there can be physical suffering, there can be suffering in our body, in our health, there can be mental and emotional suffering. There can be the, the suffering of failure, the suffering of rejection. Suffering is sometimes of maybe just feeling at loss and insignificant, lonely in our world. Suffering comes in a lot of different ways. And so the Lord said, Paul said, don't be surprised by this. But he also said, it's best that you suffer together. 
that you don't do it alone. That a part of the beauty of the body of Christ is that when we suffer, that we can lean into each other. You know, James write, if anyone has confessed, anyone has sinned, let him confess his sins one to another so that what? He can be condemned? No, so that we can pray for each other and so that we may be healed. That this church and this body is all about learning how to suffer well and struggle well, learning how to allow others, as, as Eric said, to, to kind of help shoulder our, our own brokenness and shoulder our own cross, to, to be strong for us when sometimes we are weak. I, I got a question. See, if, see what your answer is. Who would you say is the greatest evangelist that America has seen? And when I say great, I'm not asking you to say one's above the other, but maybe the most impactful. Billy Graham? Billy Graham, anyone else? Well, that, that's not, that's not going to work. <laughs> there were 7 million votes on this, and there was one for Blaine Bartell. And he was just really trying to be nice. <laughs> Billy Graham. I, I would put my hand up for, for Billy Graham. Billy Graham. Started out Campus Crusade for Christ, was a, was a youth pastor and then a youth speaker and Gradually, he began to have this incredible passion for souls and wanting to win people to Christ. And churches began to host him, and they would fill up with unsaved people that hadn't come to Jesus. And he had this, this gift and this ability to bring people to Christ. And pretty soon, they started to do smaller, smaller tents and arenas until finally... He was being hosted at places like the Rose Bowl and some of the largest venues in the world. And when he would give an altar call, thousands upon thousands would come and give their life to Christ. This man lived such a great life. He, he was faithful to God and he remained married all of his life and he, he really didn't have any, any scandals uh, of any kind, and finally his life ended, and they had a, a funeral, and I don't know how many presidents were there, but it was just like, this man was one of the great, you know, statesmen for the kingdom of God, not just in America, but around the world. And you think with all of this success, and all of the blessing, and all of the opportunity, and all of the, 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 the goodness and, and, and that, that God gave him, that, the, that there was no suffering in his life, but there was. There was. I was at a uh, very small event. Guess it would have been nine years ago. There were 30 to 40 people there. A pastor had invited me to come, and it was just a, it was kind of a roundtable event for, for church leaders. And I don't know how I even got invited, but I, I went. And I sat down at this table, and across the table from me was a an older looking lady, not, not super old, but you know, she, she was older. And, uh, and so over, you know, as we introduced each other and, and went around the table, uh, she introduced herself as Ruth Graham. Not Ruth Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, but little known Ruth Graham, the daughter of Billy Graham. And I thought, oh my goodness, I am among royalty. 
This, I, I have so many questions for her. I want to know all about what it was like to grow up with Billy Graham as your dad. And so at the first break, I went and introduced myself to Ruth. And she was so kind and so hospitable. And we sat down and we had a conversation during several breaks. And it was the beginning of a friendship that Lori and I would have with her that extends to today. But here's, here's what I found out in those conversations. Ruth Graham was a broken, broken little girl growing up. Her dad was hardly home. She hardly ever saw him. She loved him. And when he was home, he was a good father. But she felt like she was raised basically by her mom. And she felt a certain sense of just childhood rejection and abandonment. Even though it wasn't purposeful, she just felt like my dad hasn't been there for me. And so as she grew older, she talks about how she constantly craved male love and male care and, 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 and male uh, security. And so she made some really bad decisions in her choices in relationships as she got out of college. And she went from one man and one marriage to another. And when the conversation ended, I, I dared to ask the question, so, so you've been married more than once, Ruth? She said, I've been married and divorced five times. Now, I, I can't even begin to tell you how much heartbreak had happened, not just in her life, but also in the life of Billy Graham. The she, she described the incredible pain and shame that he felt over all of his daughter's losses and how difficult that was on their family and how hard it was on her. She described suffering again and again and again, a feeling like a failure. She had this great father who could do no wrong, and she would just mess up again and again and again. But can I tell you something? This is what she said in the end. She said, my dad never left me. My dad never gave up on me. My mom never left me. My mom never gave up on me. And she, and she said this, the church of Jesus never kicked me out, never threw me away, never gave up on me. And finally, through his good community and his church and the blessing of a family that just wouldn't quit on me, Jesus resurrected me out of that rejection, out of that abandonment, out of that brokenness. And she said, man, I have been living for Jesus in an amazing way for the last 15 years. And she also said, and I'm not getting married again. <laughs> oh, she's a beautiful soul. And she goes around the country and she preaches and shares her testimony and is honest about her own suffering. Friends, beloved, here's the good thing. Even though we all suffer, we have somebody that suffered before us. 
We have somebody that went to the cross before we did. We have somebody that was rejected. rejected. We had somebody that was abandoned, and his name is Jesus. And he went as a seed into the ground with his suffering and his rejection and his pain, and he rose from the dead. And Jesus can take your suffering, your hurt, and your brokenness when you live into God's community, and he can raise you up to live again and live beyond what you've suffered through. Can somebody say amen this morning? Let's do this. Stand to your feet if you would. I want to pray for you this morning, and I want to especially pray for you before we come and we receive the body and blood of Christ today. I want to pray for those that have suffered, because as I've been uh, just speaking this morning, I've caught faces. I feel like I've connected with some hearts here. And there's some people that have really endured some, some tough things in the last year. Uh, health issue, issues, mental health issues, loss in your family. Uh, so, some men that have just really having trouble figuring out who am I, what am I gonna do, what kind of what is my career? What is my job? What does my life assignment look like? Like trying to figure that out. Some ladies here that have felt like, am I ever gonna find my way? Am I ever gonna find, you know, real love and real family? And then some like Ruth Graham have just felt like there's too much shame in my life. You know, I've, I've just too many things that have gone wrong. Maybe I've just disappointed God or disappointed others too much. As we come to the table here in just a few moments, we're coming to a table <laughs> that is level. It's not slanted towards the perfect. There's not a, a sinner's table on the side and the, the righteous table in the middle. It's a table for all of us. It's a table that Jesus shared with, with Peter who would deny Jesus shortly after that table. There's a, there's a table shared with Judas who would betray Jesus shortly after consuming at that table. That Jesus said, listen, this, this table of forgiveness, this table of healing is for one and all. All you have to do to come to this table this morning is to say, I believe and I trust in Jesus, that's it. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have your doctrine figured out. You don't have to be perfect, but that you believe and you trust in Jesus and that you're a part of God's community. Doesn't matter what else is going on, this table's for you because there's grace and there's healing and there's hope at this table. So Lord, bless your people. Wherever there have been suffering, wherever there's been tribulation, wherever, wherever there's been trouble, God, I pray, that you would meet them, not just by your Holy Spirit, but in the gathering of community and in the support of community. May we open up our hearts to others in this context. And may we reach out to others as well who we see suffering. May we be the hands and feet and heart of Jesus to one another. We thank you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. We hope this message today has encouraged and inspired you. 
If you don't have a church home, we'd love for you to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. And if we can support you or encourage you or help you in any way, please use any of the links that are in the description. Thanks again for joining us online. We pray you have a great week.